And so I think that ultimately being able to successfully empathize with somebody and develop a connection across some line of cultural difference, it has to be in part consequence of uh, a shift internally, a shift within the person's, you know, own way of thinking. Now, that's not to say you might not be thrown into a conversation across some across some difference wherein you see something in the other person that you relate to doesn't spark a difference in you. It's not to say that you have to achieve some level of enlightenment necessarily before you go into some of these cross-cutting conversations. But it is to say that what we seek to do is to build out sort of a larger kind of shift in our, you know, in the spirit of our conception of, you know, what it means to be a citizen in, in American democracy, if you will. This is Tending the Fire, serving adolescent boys, their parents, families, and communities in North Carolina. We believe that initiating and supporting boys on their challenging journey into manhood is vital for a just and sustainable future. And now, here's your hosts, Brant Evans and Jordan Bowman. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. Today we have John Wood Jr. coming to us. He's the brand ambassador for Braver Angels, which is an organization that is dedicated to the depolarization of the American public and the sense of uh, creating more of a sense of the American family is, I believe, how he put it. Jordan Bowman is also on. He is one of the directors with Journeyman Triangle, which is an organization dedicated to group mentoring and rites of passages work with boys 12 to 17. Yeah, hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, so we are at Braver Angels contemplating some initiatives that really involve sort of direct engagement with the most polarized groups in American politics, which, you know, specifically means the sort of mainstream of the Trump-supporting conservative sphere of America and on the one hand in social justice-oriented communities of color on the other hand. And in the course of having these internal conversations about sort of the pretext for which we pursue this, the, the convening these two groups together, possibly in strategic collaboration over material issues such as, let's say, you know, voter suppression slash voter integrity and other things. You know, we've thought a lot about, you know, questions that will come up over, you know, are the concerns that different groups have in their own eyes, at least about certain issues, sort of sort of asymmetrical what does questions of representation look like when you start pulling folks from these different groups in order to get them to share space how do we see to it that the braver angels kind of you know ethos is asserting itself in a context where these other groups are bringing very different kind of you know sort of social norms to a political dialogue particularly when it's not just about building empathy across divisions, but about potentially finding common ground on policy, let's say. So we're, we're contemplating kind of moving more deliberately into that arena, you know, at least more directly than we have up until now. And so that's just bringing with it all sorts of considerations and so forth. Feeling grateful to have you on, John. Grateful to, yeah, I mean, so fortunate to be able to plug in and have those conversations. So, John, I think just to throw it out there, you know, we mentioned this before, but one of the things that that we do with 
the mentoring group mentoring is rites of passage work and this idea of really Joseph Campbell's idea of the initiation and the hero's journey and like crossing the threshold into healthy masculinity for our boys and a community-minded adulthood. One of the things that we've done in the COVID era is do outdoor, fully outdoor wilderness solo experiences for the boys where they're alone for 48 hours. And we put a lot of intention into that container. I was, I was commenting with Jordan that it's, it's interesting because, you know, the Braver Angels piece is bringing people together, right, to have the conversations. And there's something intensely social about that. And then the work that we've recently done is, as Jordan would say, it's, you know, within. And so they're, in a sense, alone, even though there's the connection and, and lots and lots of support, lots of ceremony that goes into it. But it's, you know, it, it reminds me of a time in my life where I remember, I remember I did a, a group relations conference, which is like experiential group psychology experience, intensely social. And then, or like two weeks before that, I had done a, a meditation retreat where I'm just like completely by myself and just the the different facets of what I consider ingredients of important development. But that kind of, that kind of, difference was, was sticking with me as we were prepping for this one. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want me to respond to this idea of a distinction being drawn between sort of gathering work focused in on kind of internal reflection versus socializing people together in a way to where the focus is on getting to know about somebody else's kind of, you know, internal reality a sounds, sounds like you got something so yeah let's hear it <laughs> pulling a question out of out of your analogy there but yeah it's a, it's an interesting distinction to be drawn and of course I'm, I'm not deeply familiar with the process that you're describing although i'm interested in it particularly in understanding you know sort of how it is that interacts with the natural landscape with the wilderness landscape that i think you're sort of mentoring <laughs> young people to be able to, to, to function. And one thing I would say is that I do think that in braver angels work, when you zoom out a little bit and look at the full spectrum of our offerings, we do have something called a depolarizing within workshop, right? So for folks listening who are not familiar too much with the methodology of braver angels, we have a whole lot of different workshops as well as other forums. And we've got a lot of output that we, that we, you know, get out there that is uh, aimed at convening people that dialogue across differences. But we do have some work that is about getting folks to look internally at their own attitudes to assess sort of what is polarized within you, within your own psychology. When you think about folks on the other side of a particular, you know, identity or cultural divide, you know, what are the sort of, you know, what's the sort of mental imagery or assessment that kind of instinctively surfaces. And, you know, we've got in this particular workshop exercises aimed at getting people to be sort of aware of what that reflexive kind of illustration is of the other side and to refine that, you know, through a process of self-reflection and becoming educated about some of the deeper sorts of representations of just what a conservative actually is or just what a liberal actually is. And, you know, coupled with some internal exercises that kind of focus in on, you know, how can I, you know, how can I halt this thought kind of in motion a little bit? And so I think that ultimately being able to successfully empathize with somebody and develop a connection across some line of cultural difference, it has to be in part consequence of 
uh, a shift internally, a shift within the person's, you know, own way of thinking. Now, that's not to say you might not be thrown into a conversation across some, across some difference wherein you see something in the other person that you relate to doesn't spark a difference in you. It's not to say that you have to achieve some level of enlightenment necessarily before you go into some of these cross-cutting conversations. But it is to say that what we seek to do is to build out sort of a larger kind of shift in our, you know, in the spirit of our conception of, you know, what it means to be a citizen in, in American democracy, if you will. And part of what we want to sort of instantiate into that conception is an idea that goodwill should be sort of the starting posture with which we regard everybody in, you know, in, in the American family, let's say. And that in so doing, this frees us up psychologically to be able to more effectively communicate across differences and to signal to people the fact that disagreement does not make us enemies to each other, you know, mm -hmm. at least not in my mind as an mm -hmm. individual, therefore giving you permission to reciprocate some, some charity of understanding in return. So I, I would say that, you know, I think that there's not necessarily an ultimate separation to be made between the need to, on the one hand, focus inward and sort of, you know, come to a deeper understanding of how one's internal universe uh, operates and a more constructive kind of social dynamic. But I think it probably is also fair to say that we can look at these at a process level as occupying distinct, but perhaps connectable sorts of, you know, sorts of lanes of, of, of investigation and, and imagination, you might say. So mm -hmm. that was brought to my mind as I heard you sort of point to the possibility of a contrast between those focuses. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. I've, I've been to one of the depolarizing within workshops. I thought it was, I thought it was um, really cool. Oh, you did? Like analyze. Yeah. Do that self analyzation. I, I think it's definitely a commonality between like brave angels and journeymen is that there's some level of self understanding that you need in order to bridge, bridge divides. One of the, one of the things that comes up for me is I heard you mention that like what brave angels does is kind of like marriage counseling mm. or like you use the technology of marriage counseling in a partisan divide context. Mm. And in working with youth, there's a lot of kind of ego construction, right? Like they're learning who they are. They're learning what their identity is. And it's like, I'm, I'm curious, like, well, how would something like that apply if you've never even had a girlfriend yet? You know, how's the marriage counseling techniques going to land? And again, like, I know we're, we're kind of just exploring this. I don't, I don't expect you to be an expert on this piece, but I'm, I'm curious if you have any, any thoughts around how to uh, appeal to the youth with some of this kind of concepts and processes that you guys are using. Sure. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you put your finger on it. I, I think that the, when you look at it, when you look at our polarization, it is a, it, it is a tension, a combustible tension that exists between different groups, not just on the basis of intellectual differences of opinion on policy, but on the much more deeper 
and more sensitive levels of friction being perceived between us on the level of identity, right? And what we take to constitute identity, whether it is, you know, ethnic or religious markers or political markers, such as your party affiliation or your stated ideological orientation, whether we think of these things explicitly or merely implicitly as, as identity with respect to ourselves, it is generally the case that our politics have been subject to sort of a, a phenomenon uh, and, you know, an, an old and familiar one in, in uh, civilizations, wherein just showing up in a certain uniform or seeming to wear a certain uniform triggers a cascade of assumptions that may not allow for the intervention of reason or empathy in delicate, you know, social and political interactions. But with younger people, and, you know, I think this is more true the, the younger you go, they're still in the process of forming their identities. And therefore, perhaps still in the process of solidifying <laughs> their prejudices, right? Which is, you know, the, which I guess is the good news, really. And this is why, you know, folks, we all have an interest in being, you know, hopefully a constructive influence on, on young, on the youth and kiddos. God, I'm old, you know, I don't feel like until I start playing <laughs> Think in terms of how to you know, talk in a way that makes it seem like, you know, you might make young people interested. Um, but this is why it matters, right? Because it is humanity in development and the potential for them to be better than us is still there. So, you know, that's why what you guys do is so important. But how to connect it to what we do. You know, I think that, Brant, you are well equipped for what you do because you have an appreciation of the importance of story and myth as really being sort of the doorways towards a, maybe a holistic kind of, you know, communication of a value system and a way of being in the world to folks who, and to younger people in particular, who are not necessarily going to have, you know, the resources of deep political study or experience with, you know, our larger kind of you know, societal histories and, and storylines and so forth, you're able to get at something much more elemental through story. I do remember relatively recently, actually, just uh, on the cusp of the election, the presidential election last year, giving a series of speeches to a uh, private academy in Connecticut that uh, was K through 12. And so I gave three speeches. One was to the elementary school cohort. The other was to the middle school cohort, and then the last was to high schoolers and, and some faculty. And so that did give me the opportunity to think very deliberately in terms of, like, what is the develop, developmental kind of, I don't know, sort of art to the message of Braver Angels and my own articulation of it? And how does that need to render itself in speaking to these different audiences? And I think all three of those speeches went really, really well. I, in a way, I, I was most pleased with the first one, with the youngest kids, because it forced me to just think in strictly kind of elemental and archetypal terms. And as I am searching my memory a little bit, but I started off, actually, Brad, I think you would have been proud of me, man. I started <laughs> off, you know, with something with Spider-Man reference, you know. 
And I found uh, an excuse to work in the whole with great power comes great responsibility angle. And I, I think where I kind of began with that was to let, you know, let these kids know that, you know, you're not thinking in these terms yet, but each of you is a citizen of the United States of America, which is, you know, for a long time been, you would say the most powerful and country in the world and country which is meant to set the standard in terms of freedom and equality for the world not to say that we do so perfectly or don't but within that country you as you know uh, citizens as members of your community and as you know kids are going to become adults with voices and minds that can shape the things around them have great power and influence you know and so you will be you will become the heroes in your own story but what gives us the power to ultimately you know, move that story towards the good. And so then I shifted into, you know, a story that I know well, which is the Lord of the Rings story, you know. And I started to, I think I talked a fair amount about Frodo and the ring and what made Frodo able to, you know, ultimately, though he was not large, though he was not strong, though he didn't even really have a a strong understanding of the history of the world that he was operating in. He wasn't Gandalf. He wasn't Aragorn. He didn't know the history of Gondor or, you know, Sauron or, you know, all of these other things. But Frodo was able to bear tremendous burden and a tremendous responsibility because he, of his nature, had an ability to see the best in people, to not hold on to bitter grievances and therefore he was able to hold the ring and the ring itself being this powerful sort of vehicle for exploiting the inner the inner sorts of you know demons that we have within ourselves tended to be very corrupting of much more powerful and more educated people warriors and wizards alike but frodo you know i had this powerful potential because he had not really been corrupted by by those by those temptations and those those streams of 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 bitterness, those streams of of hatred and fear and grievance and what have you, I made the point to to these kids that you know right now you kids are all Frodo, and that means that you have the potential to kind of save us from ourselves. The rest of us have all drunk in sort of these partisan and polarizing narratives. You know, mm. I, some of your parents are Republicans, some of your parents are Democrats. You know. You know some of your your parents may be maybe both. You may have one on each on each side. I said the thing that I want to that you may not yet be fully aware of, but that you will come to uh, notice as as you grow, or maybe you have noticed it, given the backdrop of the Trump election, is the fact that right now all our entire country is listening to one story or another that basically is making the point that your mother or your father are the enemy, are in some sense a bad, bad person or somebody who should not be trusted. This is the story that the country is telling right now about your parents in one way or the other. But you being your parents' children know that your parents love you, know that your parents have goodness within them and that there's, there's ever so much to be, to be loved and respected and admired about your mom and dad. I said, there's a difference between the story that the country is telling itself about your parents and what you know to be true. And so in coming to, you know, appreciate that, you know, I, I think I tried to communicate the idea that, you know, there's sort of a journey 
in front of all of us, but certainly in front of these young people, wherein they will have to come to understand what the legit, what the sort of legitimate reason is for the differences that cause us to distrust each other in American life are, while at the same time, never letting go of what they know already, which is that at the end of the day, you know, these pictures that we're painting, you know, of their parents is not the true image of who, of who they are, even if these stories exist for a reason in our national consciousness. So, you know, I'm, my memory of what I said to these kids was imperfect, but it did seem to be impactful to be able to communicate these things in terms of, you know, in terms of Marvel and Middle, Middle Earth and, and so forth. And, and really these are modern applications of essentially sort of mythological mm-hmm. sorts of narrative structures. I think you probably agree, Brandt, or at least there's a deep connection. So, you know, I think that it, it becomes important for us to think, and I wouldn't pretend the Brave Angels has quite gotten there yet, but the, the more we think in terms of reaching young folks, and really this is powerful for, for adults as well, you know, it's worth considering how it is we can more effectively apply story and archetype, myth, popular culture, so on and so forth, to how we communicate the imperatives for this sort of transcendence. And, and Chloe Valdery is someone who I think does this very well with theory of enchantment. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Her approach to diversity, equity, inclusion, work, etc. So, yeah, so those are some opening thoughts. And that is an example of how I've tried to communicate effectively with yeah. kids of a certain age. Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate the optimism and, and, and hope in that piece, too. Um, that, it's kind of a hard act to follow, but one of the, the big pieces that I struggle to place right now are, are some we have some understanding about how the adolescent brain develops and how it works and there's less of a capacity for them to tap into the prefrontal cortex you know the thinking that that part of the brain that you guys really do that work of of speaking to like if you're depolarizing you're taking that minute you're tapping into the the thinking part like learning how to take that pause that's really hard for adolescents it, it was for me and the science says that too right and at the same time, they are being bombarded with political information and, and propaganda on both sides and through channels that, I mean, really hard for me to even imagine. You know, I'm, I'm not that old or that far away from being a teenager, but there's no comparison. You know, I don't have, I don't have one of the, I didn't have one of these in my pocket that was just blasting me with yeah. news sources and, and narratives constantly. So we talk about stories and you know, I think, I guess that what I'd offer is that it works, it works both ways. I think that younger, younger minds can, can really soak in those stories at a deep level without necessarily knowing that that's happening. And my concern is that, you know, are we, are we, are we being good stewards? Are we being good storytellers to the younger generation? I, I know that we have some people who pay a lot of attention to that and are really pushing for that. I like to think we, we formed a really powerful story around like the work that, that our guys did just recently on that weekend. And, you know, I'm definitely concerned on a more cultural level that, you know, that we are not being good storytellers, that we are, we're telling stories that it will take us apart, that will exploit, you know, like the, the algorithms versus an adolescent mind, that kind of like orientation seems troubling, I'll say. Right. Well, yeah, definitely. Yes. I mean, we're just, uh, Releasing uh, actually today, we just released a podcast with Tristan Harris, 
It's our second conversation. Oh, nice. Yeah, but this has come out on the Braver Angels podcast today. And, you know, what Tristan talks about is how it is that the design of social media, the major social media platforms and, you know, other algorithmically driven platforms that distribute content, facilitate communication is linked to sort of overwhelm human sense-making abilities, you know, as a, as a means of keeping your attention focused in on the, on your, on your social media feed, right? Because your attention is monetized, of course. And, and so, you know, with, with adults, we are overwhelmed by a system that on the basis of our, you know, sort of essential kind of, of demographic information and just a little bit of input in terms of what we voluntarily start off clicking on and so forth, you know, because the, the, the platforms have essentially, you know, unlimited data showing how it is that folks of a certain demographic with a certain sort of content preference will themselves be inclined to consume more and more information and stimulus that is sort of trotted out in, in the vein of what they can anticipate one's preferences to be. You are overloaded with recommendations and posts uh, and, you know, that speak to your, to what you want to see, but to the wants that arise potentially from parts of you that are undisciplined and easy to exploit from your, from your fears every bit as much as your, your wants and, and desires and uh, prejudices and so on and so forth. We as adults are overwhelmed uh, by all of this and it's warping our ability to communicate with each other and to reason with each other and to make sense of the world. And of course, with young people and adolescents in particular on social media, there is this terrible sort of intersection with, on one hand, you know, a, a young person being in a formative stage in their life where they're trying to come to grips with their identity and everybody is insecure and trying to understand who they are. And they're being presented with the face of reality, let's say on Instagram, in certain more visual uh, social media sites, wherein everybody is sort of motivated to present the most idyllic possible representation of their reality. You know, in, in a way that one doesn't really reflect people's reality and two makes other people feel like they're missing out on all the happiness of life. And that leads directly to depression and even suicide, particularly among young, young girls, from, from what I understand, teenage mm -hmm. girls. Yeah, Jonathan, he, he hits on that, I think, pretty firmly around like the effect with mm -hmm. adolescent girls being. Yeah, I, just real quick, I want to throw out this thought. This we were talking about the archetypes and this popped into my head as you were speaking. It seems like we are de we designed AI and the algorithms to invoke the addict archetype in ourselves because that it's easy to make money off of that, right? Like if if you know if we're in, if we're invoking the the healthy king archetype in young men, for example, that's that's a little harder to profit off of, right? Because there's the independence and a autonomy and a, and a generosity that comes with that. It's a lot harder to predict. It's a lot harder to just make a quick dollar off of, and so we've Again, if a lot of it is AI, right? So there's not like that conscious intention there, but 
what do we see? We see material that's designed to like suck us into these dark fantasies to where we're just doom scrolling on Twitter, on Instagram or whatever it is. I love that. And story. yeah, and we're predictable. You know, the addict is predictable. And I think that it is possible as we consider how it is that what we know with respect to how we may develop mentally progress towards being more empathetic and loving human beings and how that can translate into social strategies that allow us to build stronger communities and even, you know, more deeply rooted democratic processes. I think it's possible to wed those insights to some objective in the digital and in the social media and technological space that says, okay, how can we take those insights and feed them into some archetypal representation of, you know, what the hero is, what the good king or queen is, and represent that, you know, thematically or somehow or other narrative fashion in a way that allows social media and, and digital interaction to play out as something of a video game that cultivates, mm-hmm. you know, those aspects of, of character, you know? Well, there's, can I, can I stop interrupt yeah, you for one second? So I'm realizing, I guess, more and more that, you know, the story, getting the stories right telling the right stories and, and ask, and, and then also like fostering a curiosity about the stories. That's, mm. I would argue that that's a part of this, a part of the picture of what's needed for, for youth specifically. There's another piece though, where that's not enough. And there needs to be an anchor to reality because, you know, we can have like people on the far right, way out there who love the Lord of the Rings and people on the far left who love the Lord of the Rings, right? Who are, and, and they are convinced that they're living the hero's journey of mm. that story and that archetype. And that's right. So it's, there's a piece of it. And I, I think this again connects to the Braver Angels thing. I don't have a way to cleverly correlate this specifically with like teenagers necessarily, but that seems very true to me, right? That we, we can't just, it's not just like, here are the stories. It's how do we interpret them and how do we anchor them, right? Because that's the, those are the most powerful moments for me is, is when you have that, that whatever uh, feedback from your environment or a mentor or somebody you trust who's giving you the clue that maybe you're not like acting out that character's arc in the way that you think you are, right? Well, I'm going to, yeah. And I, right. and I jump in there because when, John, when you were talking about Lord of the Rings, I started to get this picture. You you mentioned kind of the stories that were being told, the narratives that are coming down are putting the older people who have formed identities and formed prejudices into, right, Rohan, Gondor, orcs, elves, right? And, and they're, they're solidified in those. And what came to mind for me was, well, what about like the Aragorns? And what about the Gandalfs and even Theoden, who, who had that counsel and said, well, no, we're not going to support Gondor. And then, and then he had this moment of like uh, transcendence where it was like, wait a minute, there's, there's a higher order. There's like a, there's something else at stake here. There's this archetypal battle of good and evil that I'm going to transcend my tribal story to belong to. And same thing with Aragorn. He's like, you know, he's the, I, lo- I love Lord of the Rings. If you, if you don't know Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> They know it. Just assume they know it, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Trigger warning up front. Disclaimer. (laughs) But I want to watch the Lord of the Rings first. Yeah. (laughs) So here's here's the thought. So again, this is like a lot. A lot of my work is is thinking about roles and organizations. And I I 
I think I can honestly say there've been times in my life where I've been freaking worm tongue. Like I've been in that like <laughs> bitter and like whispering into like somebody's ear. But if you ask me, you know, I think I'm Aragorn. I'm like fighting the good fight, right? Like I'm, I'm the good guy here, obviously. Like we, we, this isn't an original thought in that sense, but you know, I wonder, I like, this isn't a message I hear a lot, but I really do think there's something around like, how do we anchor the story? How do we, how do we draw out perspective around like how we're acting out the archetypes? That's an important piece that, you know, I don't think we get a lot of, it's like, here's Game of Thrones. Here's the story, right? Yeah. So, I mean. One person who does provide an immense amount of insight into that process, or these versions of that process, uh, is uh, Jordan Peterson. <laughs> well, familiar, and, and, and that really is what Jordan does. I mean, I think that you're right, Brant, that that you don't see a lot of that out there. But that's kind of the main thing Jordan does, in in my mind. You know, he establishes the archetypes, their significance in terms of what they suggest about the human spirit individually and collectively, and also how it evolves and progresses over time, but then he weds that to practical insights about, you know, how you do manifest those qualities in your day-to-day life, you know, yep. clean your room, sit up straight, you know, all that, you know, and then he manages to, you know, tie that to, you know, how it, you know, how it is that you actually slay a freaking dragon and so forth, you know, at least, at least metaphorically. So you're, you're right, man. There's, that is the case. And I understand why you say that in the context of recognizing the fact that, you know, we can all be aware of these stories and still be wildly at odds with each other because we are perhaps interpreting the implications of these stories differently. And, you know, I mean, how many, you know, the Bible, whatever anybody's particular religious beliefs are uh, about it is, you know, clearly, even if it is not just this, it is clearly a, a, a compendium of archetypes and uh, narratives. You know, how many wars have been fought within Christianity over differing interpretations of the same stories, right? And yet, I think that particularly in the modern age, we have this sense that if if all folks who called themselves Christian were actually like Jesus, you wouldn't have any of that, you know, which I also believe is true. But to be like Christ, to be like Jesus, it seems like you have to know more than just, you know, he he. He was born, you know, he preached a message, he got crucified, died, came back to life. And, you know, in the midst of all that said, hey, everybody better believe in me. You know, there actually has to be sort of a deep understanding of, you know, what is the spiritual, internal spiritual reality of somebody who who literally loves not just their neighbors, but loves their enemies. You know, what does that look and feel like from the inside out? And how does, you know, and how does that then manifest in conduct? It's one thing to watch watch the movie, you know, Lord of the Rings or whatever, and to have fun with the fight scenes and all of that. It's another thing, of course, to deeply contemplate what these things reflect about, you know, the reality of human nature and the spiritual struggles uh, with which we are all engaged. And so reflection on the stories has got to be more important even than the stories themselves, in some sense, because... There's a harvesting that has to take take place, you know. If your character is compelling and heroic to you, we're getting the the, the good side of John Wood here. This is awesome. Yeah, you guys are bringing out all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of unusual stuff to me. This is great. 
Jordan Peterson has said this directly, and I, I remember him saying this about the book Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, which is a very, I don't know if you guys have read it, but I've, that one. you know, it, it has so much to do with informing, you know, libertarian and anarchist and then perhaps thinking and sort of an important philosophical text, but it's also a story, right? And I read it and, you know, I, it certainly influenced my perspectives on things, but Peterson named something about that book that I felt while I was reading it, but never consciously articulated uh, to myself until he had said it. And when you read that book, what Atlas Shrugged is in essence about is a statist society, United States of America, some version of it. She wrote, I think, back in the 50s, if I remember, that had been, you know, a statist society utterly taken over by bureaucrats and so forth, who basically sort of viciously vindic viciously and vindictively scapegoated the most productive people in society, right? Jordan Peterson, in talking about Atlas Shrugged, made the point that, you know, it's a very interesting book, but it fails to be it fails to be great literature because you can't have great literature without the conflict primarily being internal. There's like no internal conflict in right. in Atlas Shrugged. You know, all the characters are sure of themselves from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. And as such, you know, it's missing, you know, something deep. And it actually, this this takes me to something else. Real quick, I do want to say another one that a story that had had it, it had it at the beginning and then has tailed off. And I, I believe you're a fan as well. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm going to say, John? I think I do. I think I do. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z, man. Oh, I thought you were going to say Game of Thrones. But Game Dragon Ball Z, yeah. I agree oh. with you on that front too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with that. Uh, Dragon Ball Z, I love Dragon I love Dragon Ball Z right up until <laughs> the end of Cell. I <laughs> Although I think that the best of Dragon Ball Z was up until Frieza, but I but I still yeah. dug it all the way up to the yeah. uh, end of end of Cell. But but in my mind that's a that's a a story that lost the archetypal mandate. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had a compelling archetype story and then it crumbled it, they lost it it slipped through well but but we're basically having people bring their heroes and their their stories of those heroes and map those to the hero's journey and then map that to their life yeah. as well and and so i'm looking forward to your series with braver angels doing that same thing across the country <laughs> hey you guys are you guys give me ideas man you may be laughing but you know this really no it's good enough uh, another it might have to bring you guys in to help us out with Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a, a huge potential for something like that, the teenage level, because we're, we're already bombarding them with political messaging. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, and I, I, to me, dude, the best ideas come out when I'm laughing. So, I, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> but OK, I want to know this. This is interesting for our, our, our little process in this podcast. We, yeah. we, we brought out this idea of talking about, you know, young men or well, adolescents, young men and young women. And, uh, you know, where do we, where do we go with it? We like went to our stories and, and like, it had like a, to me, it had like a childlike feel to it, which is pretty cool. I don't know. I think there's something about doing that work and, and contemplating that that like brings out and like gets at least me back in touch with some of those pieces that are, I definitely don't want to lose touch with. Jordan, I mentioned on the weekend when we were doing hosting the solos, I was like just running up the hills, which reminded me of when I was a little boy, she used to like run like crazy. And yeah, there's something about like, touching on it and discussing it that, that like brings it back up. That's my, that's my theory at least. Yeah. Um, so you mean just referring back to one's own childhood stories as a way of, you know, 
connecting and, and sort of illustrating your own, your own journey. So we're, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it like, like listening to you get excited about the stories, you know, there's like a youthful, like, it's true. like adolescent energy there. That's, it's awesome. Well, and the, and for me, mine was Lord of the Rings, right? Like growing up, like, yeah. and I, and I was so into it. So when you were bringing that up, I was like running with this metaphor and like mm-hmm. understanding like these elements of, uh, on a societal and cultural level, right? If we are, if we are in adolescence as a society in some ways, right? Yeah. Like in which ways are we uh, coddling Americans and saying, oh no, like go with your mother, ride that horse, right? In the Rohan scene where the, the two kids go up the hill and they hide in the helm steep, right? Yeah. Like how are we treating people like that versus inviting them to the council where they're making the decision to like, like invite Gondor to help them fight or whatever, you know what I mean? Like those kind yeah. of things, they make it click for me. Yeah. And, and I think that's, it's going to be true with, with youth. I just, I need to catch up on my Dragon Ball Z and Naruto <laughs> to deliver yeah. this, this content later this summer. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I love the work to do. Yeah. You're, you're a rock star out there, man. So keep it up. I wonder what, what ways we could engage teens. I think that's a big part of the conversation and maybe a way that Braver Angels could even like expand its impact. So yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, hey, this has been a lot of fun, guys. And you did uh, give me an opportunity to range out a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't usually get to do, but it's all, it, it really is all important stuff because mm-hmm. we tend to compartmentalize these social questions, but really all of it is about the whole of our culture. Yep. Really. And there's so many resources there to be drawn upon that we don't initially think about when we think in terms of how to impact these problems, right? So. Yeah, uh, conversations like these uh, matter. So I'm glad we got to have them. Cool. Well, I'm checking out Grateful, John. Really awesome to have this conversation. Checking out Grateful. Yeah, yeah I'm checking out with a lot of a lot of Dragon Ball Z that I need to watch. <laughs> really here to do. So, awesome, man. There it is. Boom. Last word, John. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Be safe, man. Be well. All right, you too. Thanks. This has been another episode of Tending the Fire with your hosts, Brant Evans and Jordan Bowman. They are both area directors of Journeyman of North Carolina. For a deeper dive into this episode with extended video interviews and links to everything mentioned, head over to our YouTube channel at tendingthefirepodcast.com forward slash YouTube. You can visit us on the web at tendingthefirepodcast.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at journeyman underscore NC. Journeyman, a 503C nonprofit organization, and their volunteer group of adult-initiated mentors supports adolescent boys on their paths to becoming men of integrity. We model authentic masculinity and nurture self-awareness and emotional growth while challenging and assisting boys to discover their unique gifts. We honor their emerging masculinity and youthful energy alike. In short, we help teenage boys grow into men. If your young man could benefit from this type of guidance or your mentor that's looking for a place to serve in the Asheville area, Contact us at journeymanashville at gmail.com. In the Raleigh-Durham area, contact journeymantriangle.org. Music by Charlie Krejci. Edited, produced, and distributed by me, Adam Lamb. And this has been a production of Realignment Media.